Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and I'm chatting with director Luke McManus about his documentary North Circular, but as he's walking through the North Circular. So thank you so much for chatting with us. No, my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. You are on the North Circular Road as we speak. Literally dragging a wheelie case behind me <laughs> up uh, towards Dorset Street right now. And then I'll be going past Mount Joy, Daily Mount, and then down to me gaff, which is near Grange Gormans. Fabulous. So, and very, very uh, true to the, the subject matter. So you... Totally. Like, first off, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous documentary. As a as a Northsider myself, I enjoy watching. <laughs> like, just, I think you forget how steeped in history our, our part of the world is, how around every corner there's been, like, generations and generations of, of people existing, of music and, and art and, and life. And, and I think your documentary does a beautiful job of, of celebrating that in all its kind of nuanced form. Oh, thank you very much. It's funny. I kind of, I always fancied making a History of Dublin documentary. Um, but I never got around to it. And I didn't kind of realise that this was it until I was sort of halfway through it, you know. So, uh, like, walking around the city is a bit like flipping up through the pages of a book, you know. It's sort of, you can read a city as you walk. You can kind of, it's legible to you. It, 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 you know, it, it's, it's a strange thing this particular road because it's sort of it sort of has everything on it you know all of human life and all its misery and triumph you know you have modern day tenements you have kind of soulless glass box buildings you have right gorgeous rich little uh um those like like little 1930s cottages those like those red brick ones that are so familiar in, in the batter you've like you kind of and you yeah. have all class of Dubliner very much so I mean that was kind of the way I that was kind of something I was always been very interested in people's class backgrounds and I grew up in Bray which is a place with an amazing mixture of of social classes from Supreme Court judges to you know people you know who are really sort of impoverished and you know living in very deprived conditions um, and we all kind of were Bray people together you know which always something I loved about where I grew up and then when I came to live here I realised you know the same was true and maybe even more so like you had President Higgins kind of lives in the North Circular Road uh, you know if you, I've taken it to the slightly broader definition of it to include the park so that was my kind of conceit that if everyone from Uther on the hair and to, to the kind of Roma immigrants and the you know the kind of the young boys of Summer Hill you know and everyone in between and and you capture like the kind of the vibrancy of it, the life, the the multiculturalism. Like it's very and and do it in this beautiful layered, textured way. Can you tell me a little bit about? So this is this is a real art um mm. documentary. Can you tell me a little bit about what what it started like and as idea as an idea in your head, how you worked it into a pitch, and then how it took off? Sure. Well, I'm never quite sure where it all began. Uh, I do remember thinking a long time ago that there was something very interesting about the North Circular Road. And I was a big fan of, uh, in the 90s, there was these uh, people in London in the early noughties, and they called it psychogeography, which isn't a particularly lovely term. 
but what they were about was kind of walking the streets of London or and sort of unpicking the narratives that they sort of perceived along them. And there was Ian Sinclair and Peter Ackroyd and Will Self, a bunch of them doing it. And I always thought that'd be an amazing way to navigate in a film through Dublin. Um, and the North Circle seems to be the obvious place given the prisons and the hospitals and the stadiums and the mental hospitals and the, you know, uh, barracks and all these crazy institutions that were on us. But I kind of sat in a drawer, as films do, and I actually remember Donald Nugent, who I think I was in college with, brought out a film called North Circular Road in 2015, and I was like, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> He's done it. And I, I looked at the trailer, and it was, I was like, oh, no, it's like a psychological thriller. It's a totally different type of film. It's not exactly, not at all what I was thinking of. So I was like, ooh. But then I was like, geez, I better do it sometime. And then, of course, it didn't happen for ages. And then I did a film with Lancome, who were called Lynch back then. Uh, for the title track of their album called Old Fire and uh, they that was in black and white 4-3 and it had Shannon singing in it and it had a kind of moody look on history and I shot it in a big house in Smithfield that was kind of like a perfect 18th century house in Smithfield so so that kind of aesthetic then was rattling around in my head because I kind of loved that film that bit music video um, yeah. and other people loved it and it was like one of these things where I just felt you know I really expressed myself really well there and I had amazing collaborators so then I kind of just took the idea of the North Circular and the aesthetic of Cold Old Fire and put them together and that's kind of how the real art thing came about so the mixture of music and storytelling that you find in the film and so you were producer along with Elaine Gallagher yeah and um, yeah. you guys uh, put together then a pitch. Like, what what kind of documentation do the Arts Council need for real art? Do you have to put your whole, every single type of character that you were looking to to speak with? Or do you put a tone or a vibe? Like, how, how do you kind of encapsulate a, a film like this at that stage? You know, it's funny. It's, it's funny because I um, Elaine kind of hopped on the project quite a bit later on after, after it had been funded. So... It was kind of just me doing it. And um, I looked back at the proposal the other day and it, it actually is, it's a lot closer to the finished film than it, I thought it would be. You know, it's like surprisingly accurate to the vision that I had. Um, I mean, there's obviously lots of differences to it and that's the beauty of documentary is, you know, you come up with a plan and then you're, you're hoping reality has a better plan for you, you know, and that events happen that are interesting. Or, you know, but... Yeah, I put together a proposal that was pretty detailed um, about content and about structure, pretty detailed about the aesthetic approach. Um, like I've written, you know, I'm getting on, I've written a lot of these things at this stage, so you get good at it after a while. They're a nightmare when you're starting out. They're just really overwhelming. And I, know, I always feel sorry for young filmmakers trying to write proposals because it is really hard to to get it down on paper in a way that you're satisfied with. But it's funny, over the last few years, I found it much easier just because I've done so many of them. And what advice would you give someone, actually? That's a very good point. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of people listening there that are that have their hair torn out, <laughs> pondering over yeah. those application forms. What would, what would be your sort of tip for capturing the mood of a piece? Well, I suppose the first thing I would say is um, something very fundamental about pitching, which is a weird twin 
kind of you have two agendas. One is to excite and interest and intrigue, and the second agenda is to reassure. So basically, those two things are sort of slightly in conflict with one another. Because what you need to do is excite the person at the other end that that you can put, come up with something really interesting and, and fun and amazing that's going to be worth watching. But you have to reassure them that it's uh, you're actually capable of delivering it in that budget and in that time frame, you know? So it's quite an interesting balance you need to strike. Um, I think you need to write something that feels like the experience of watching the film. And I think you, can, you can't really go too far on with that. So you just drop them in and go, we are at, in the Phoenix Park. We're about to go on a journey down to Dublin Force. And on the way, we're going to meet a lot of people. And we're going to travel to a lot of interesting places and hear some amazing music, you know, and, and, and sort of, you know, don't be overcomplicated. I, I mean, it also depends who your audience is in terms of commissioners. I think that's a big thing. I mean, from a, if you're talking about tone and aesthetic and all that, you just have to put in photographs, you know? And, you know, that's really important, I think, to include imagery so that at a glance, they can see what world you're trying to create, you know? Yeah. Uh, another thing that was quite lucky, I think, was that it was the era of the Zoom pitch. Um, which is, you know, it was COVID times when I was pitching. So I was kind of in my kitchen with another team in front of me, you know, fluffy socks on. You know, so I hadn't had that whole stressy thing of getting to a room and waiting and, you know, someone else being in before you and someone else going in after you. You know, that whole weird energy, audition yeah. type energy. So I, I was kind of in a very comfortable place. And I was able to do a little keynote presentation that I shared into the uh, into the Zoom meeting. That was very simple, but it just was a visual. So that came. So, the, so it was a two stage process for real art. You do your submission of proposal, director's notes, collaborators' CVs, letters of interest from the people you're going to work with, and the budget. And then you get shortlisted. And then it was like a Zoom pitch, just sort of a half hour, twenty minute Zoom pitch, and. Uh, and I decided to make the most of Zoom's technologies and advantages. So uh, it's actually a great format to do presentations in. Yeah, but I suppose you're you're definitely one of the more technologically advanced people. I'd, I'd say you'd have people that can <laughs> that are applying for these things like barely work a Zoom because they're trying to know about that. Oh, no. Filmmaking is quite technical. You know, you have to be a bit of an engineer if you're going to be a filmmaker. You know. You know, in my in my mind, like if you're not, you're deluding yourself. You know, so and like if I'm gonna be a big fat nerd, I might as well kind of, <laughs> I might as well try and bend it to my advantage. You know, and uh, and make the most of it. But you are right. I am a real kind of Mac jockey, and I do, you know doing little graphics and Photoshop. And another thing I did that was quite cool was I got some of the collaborators to record little videos on their phones. So. Uh, Probably shouldn't be giving away my trade secrets, but yeah, anyway, here say, we are. Like everyone be taking notes. <laughs> yeah, so but I had them in the keynote, so you click through and I go, and here's the editor I'm gonna work with, and then you'd have one minute of John Murphy telling you why he loved the project, you know. Um so, so you've 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 kind of like a, a, a kind of a bunch of professionals backing you before you've even gone into the room, kind of having your I call. think that's key. I think that's key. I think like if you've been in the industry for a while and you've built up some previous collaborators that you've had really good experiences with. You kind of have to go there to them and go, I really want you on this and I want you on this from proposal stage. Are you into it? Will you commit to it? You know? Yeah. Um, 
because it just makes it a lot more that works to reassure the funder you know like if they're looking at it going okay he's got like he's got he's got John Murphy cutting it he's got Paddy Jordan shooting it and he's got Lancome and Jemison Levy both agreeing to be in it and collaborate with him how far wrong can we go even if McManus is a total clown it'll probably still be good you know <laughs> And and tell me then about so you got you got the funding you got your interview you, um Elaine came on board what was the stages then do you how do you go out and find your subject matter your do you record the music first do you go out into the street and find your neighbors I had, like what and a few techniques because it was lockdown all you could actually do is just walk around the place anyway so I was kind of going around for my little two k walk and I was like on a recce basically every day my head um, so that was the first thing and then I kind of said to Paddy in January came around and said let's go out and shoot on like New Year's Day or 2nd of January first thing in the morning when it's still dark and you know just started shooting in a kind of photo walk safari type way just let's go to Fibsor and see what imagery we can come back with you know and it's quite a fear from your face as well people will tend to trust you more like the fact that you're in the community totally. you're part of the community that you're there with them like that makes a big difference like sure I, I always think of you as a figure around town you're always at the protests filming I don't <laughs> yeah well I, I did a series about protests so I think that was probably the reason uh, <laughs> that you saw me a lot of them because I did a tv3 series about about street protests but um yeah it, it's it's an interesting point like I am more than 20 years in Dublin 7 and you know like blowing and i am kind of i'm well i'm not though this is the thing that here's a beautiful thing for you let me tell you i am totally a blow-in bray obs like you, even if you're there 25 years you're still a blow-in but i started making the film and i was talking to my aunt in england and you know the way every family has the one auntie who like knows everything about the family tree you know just is the guardian of that stuff you know and she's like well you know you're from there and i was like what and she goes to your, your grandmother emily McKeown, she grew up on the North Circular in the little flat and all that. And she, I went looking for it. It's literally around the corner. Whoop, there's, they're beeping their horns here now. Uh, it's literally around the corner. <laughs> you know, uh, the uh, the flat that my grandmother grew up in and she married my grandfather in, in Stony Barter in Ockham Street Church. But they'd moved to the south side and the connection was broken. Like my great-grandfather was a cattle dealer in the uh, market at Hanlon's Corner, the famous cattle market there. So... Like, it turns out I am from here. And, like, it's so weird that I ended up living in a house around the corner from where my grandmother was born. You know, it's kind of extraordinary. And it's, I'm sure it is a coincidence, but at the same time, it's a big coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, and you can't help but that feeling of, I don't know, like, almost like ghosts, I think, in some parts of the some parts of Dublin. Like, you can yeah, feel sure. the history. Like, I know it sounds a bit mad, like, but... I don't know, there's sometimes if you're just going by and you just get that sense like so much has happened here. No, totally. Totally. You peel back the layers of an onion and you reveal things underneath. And I actually was thinking about those at one stage. The film was going to be called uh, Ghosts of the North Circular Road. But uh, but I'm glad. It, it was It was just too long. And then and then Alan Gilston's film's called Ghosts of Bagatodia, which is about Bagot Street. So it's like, right, thank God I didn't do that. Like, you know, but, um, but that idea of a ghost... I actually, I'd spent a lot of time thinking about that because the one thing you know, notice about ghosts is they always 
inhabit the same spot. It's like, you know, you don't get itinerant ghosts who kind of pop up here and there. They're like in a place always, aren't they? They're like in the haunted house. Yeah. And I think that's because culturally what a ghost is, is a story that we tell about the resonances of history in a building and about the strange sense that we pick up when we go into a place that might have seen terrible things or might have had tragic moments in it, you know, the past. Intergenerational trauma. Like, I mean, there's been... Yes, yes, like, yes. We were a third world country up until, like, relatively recently in our history and all the kind of glass box fabulous hotels popping up around the city like can actually mask the like that that people were like living on nothing and you know your community protected you and you're 100 right like and it's so interesting you should say that because my my grandmother married a man who was a reasonably a very middle class sort of small businessman who did grand for himself and was able to provide a comfortable life for her but she grew up in extreme poverty. The father lost all the money. The mother died. The brother died. Two or three of her brothers died. They were living on porridge. I mean, it was real hard time stuff. And it's funny. I always remember my grandmother as a sad lady. She had a lot to be happy about, but she was just not someone who, I think she was damaged and scarred by all the terrible things she'd seen in her childhood. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it kind of, so in a weird way, I kind of, the film's a bit of a journey into my own head, you know? Kind of like, you know, a lot of the themes in the film connect into my own personal ancestry. And, you know, it's uh, it's definitely a very personal film. Wow, it's all happening. Are, are, are we going to get you killed? Like <laughs> Some lunatic just took a right turn where you're not allowed and a bus nearly ran him down. I'm just on a, I'm on Doyle's Corner now, which is, it used to be called Dunphy's Corner. And at one stage, I was going to get Lancome to sing a song called Sergeant William Bailey um, from their second album, which is about a man who used to stand on the corner I'm standing on, corner I'm standing on now, Dunphy's Corner. Uh, he, was a he was a recruiting sergeant for the British Army. God. And sure, yeah. isn't there, um, Arthur Conan Doyle was supposed to have held a seance in Doyle's, in Doyle's pub. I'm not sure about that. That sounds that sounds like a a lie. Yeah, a tall, yet, a tall yet interesting tale. Yeah. You know? uh, oh no, I, I'm sure it was done like to sell cocktails or something. Like if you go in there, right. there's cocktails called like I don't know, the Sherlock or something like that. But it's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, and you know something? Those stories that are just not true but are still interesting and evocative. I've kind of got a bit of a soft spot for them. I kind of feel like I need to come up with a word for them. I think fake news is a bit too pejorative for them, you know. But <laughs> They're kind of tall tales. I mean, there's a classic one. Oh, here's a fire engine there. Whoa! Whoa! My God. But you'll um, have like a live radio documentary by the time we're finished. <laughs> I'm getting past Doyle's Corner. Hopefully it'll calm down a bit. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a classic one that people, uh, the Wellington Testimonial, which most people know is the Wellington Monument, but it's, it's actually a testimonial. A monument is built to someone who's dead and a testimonial is built to someone who's still living. Um, like a footballer's testimonial football match is like a tribute to them while they're still alive. So the Wellington testimonial, every taxi driver in Dublin will tell you that the statues on it are made from the melted cannons from the fields of Waterloo that they brought back and then melted down. Uh, which when you think about it is obviously not true. <laughs> you know? Like Very it just isn't. Though. 
<laughs> so impractical. Like, yeah, they're going to bring back that cannon all the way to Dublin and the, and the sculpt is going to be, yeah, that's the perfect metal I need. Absolutely perfect. And, you know, whatever. It's just, it's obviously not true, but it's kind of an amazing story nonetheless, you know, because it, uh, it says so much about the object and the place. So those little bits of folklore, I'm kind of fond of them, you know. And there is no such thing as truth in some ways. Like everything is a memory and memories are always distorted. So I'm like, you know, like if, if enough people sort of believe it, if the, if it if it holds truth for the holder of the story, I'm like, good for them. As long as it's not like hurting anyone. <laughs> you know, that is a very perceptive and interesting point. And it's a good insight. And it's something that, that I find as a documentary maker constantly um. I'm making a film about homeless people at the moment. Uh, well, a t- TV series, three-part TV series for Virgin Media. And, um, you know, a lot of homeless people, are, homeless people actually have a very well-developed sense of narrative, uh, generally speaking, because it's kind of one of the, the survival, you know, tools to get by if you're homeless. Wow. Um, but it's always a narrative that is sort of, here, can you hear the bells? Yeah. So I'm standing under St. Peter's Church now. Soundscape uh, of the city. That's fabulous. Yeah, they're in the, that's in the film too. St. Peter's and Pibsborough is a remarkably gothic and kind of folk horror type church with like gargoyles and there's like skulls and crossbones on it and whips and all sorts of demented, dark, evil stuff. Sinister religion. But um. But yeah, so you were saying about fake news. It's very important, I think, to go when you're making a documentary. I am not going to find the absolute truth here. What I have to do is represent the truths of these people and what's true for them and give them a chance to express that. And as you say, as long as it's not damaging or insightful or particularly or very dangerous, let people articulate their truth and their story. Yeah, because it is true for them, but like you'll have two people two people who've lived through the same thing not even that long ago and the memory will be completely different like if you've ever had that person like someone retelling you a story of something that happened like it's just like they're chalk and cheese or people telling you stories about their parents too too it's so true it's so true and like some people tell a story in a kind of long-winded way with loads of unnecessary detail in it that's really kind of saps the energy out of it and then some people can't help just making stuff up to make it more interesting and if they just go too far and they just undermine the credibility of it so you're trying to find a line between realism and fantasy that's compelling and i guess that's what i was doing with the film as well to an extent was to go okay i want it to be a realistic documentary about a real place but i don't want it to be a kind of flat boring kind of uncreative look at it i wanted to have a heightened tone and an atmosphere that's very powerful it captures that but you also really captured the the kind of diction the language of the locals and I think that's the thing like I could hear I could hear the lived history I could hear like the the three generations of of living parents through you know like through whoever was the speaker you could really get that sense like I and I think it's so important to capture that because it's being lost like communities as we know them I think are changing they are changing I mean I think there's always a risk when you're a filmmaker to, or a journalist or any kind of a creative person to go on a kind of, oh, everything's terrible. We're losing everything. And, you know, Dublin is being destroyed. And like, 
know, we are losing <laughs> everything. No, 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 no but, but we aren't. I actually, I have to contest that. I, I mean, I'll give you an example, right? I was on the board of a thing called the Joinery in Stony Better, which was a gorgeous little gallery, experimental music space uh, in an old carpenter's workshop on Arbor Hill. And it was run by these amazing people and they did an incredible job. And then after seven years, they just had enough, couldn't make a pay and they closed it down. And we were all terribly upset and we'd lost the joinery and woe was us. But just a few months ago on Prussia Street, these guys have opened up this thing called Unit 44, which is this really cool experimental music venue and they're holding loads of gigs. So there is an element of things die, but things are also born. And there's a certain amount of you know, like especially with creativity and creative spaces, as long as some, as long as they're still opening up, it's okay if some of them are closing down. But having said that, so I just find the whole like, well, do, the doom mongering a bit oppressive. But at the same time, don't get me wrong, we are in a crisis, and the crisis for me is not necessarily the loss of creative spaces. It's the crisis is the disastrous level of rent and the precarity and uncertainty that faces people who are trying to afford rent in this town. You know, it's, it is totally unacceptable, the situation we found ourselves in, you know, and it's very, very damaging to the place. So, so you know, I think I've made a film that's very optimistic and positive about this city, ultimately, because I think it is my favourite place in the world and I absolutely adore it. But I'm very lucky to have secure, affordable housing. And if you don't have secure, affordable housing, it's a very, very hard place to live. And that's wrong. Yeah. It's, it's, it's inserting the class issues back in that all the, you know, like all, like all of that kind of investment in welfare and the, the city, like, you know, you go the same way that the, the UK is now, where after creating a welfare state, after creating security and comfort for so many people, they just kind of, stopped investing in it so it dies and crumbles and then like now we're seeing the the cost of that poverty and like how people are how people are literally dying in the streets because the NHS has nothing like the NHS has absolutely nothing and then it's going to become more and more cleared and like they're and they're even their middle classes are nearly wiped out and I kind England's, of, in a, England's in a much worse state than Ireland and that's not something that you, has ever been true in the past <laughs> like you know this is what's interesting about this moment in our history is that now Ireland is a less dysfunctional place than England like a much less dysfunctional place and in truth it was a much more dysfunctional place for nearly all of its history so the tables being turned is quite fascinating and I think the base level of poverty in Dublin is not as low as it used to be at all. But there are huge issues around addiction, around mental health and around housing. And a lot of them are connected. But um, England, so I've just come back from London. England is, England is in a very bad place and I don't think it's going to get out of it anytime soon. You know. Whereas ultimately, I think, if you look back over the last 20, 30 years, Ireland has improved a lot as a place in my view as long as we keep going in this direction but I do think this film celebrates that so much and you do get that sense of the past you get that kind of bright sense of youth you do get like that encroaching <laughs> sense of the the you know like even with the cobblestone being lost but then how people yeah. really kind of rallied around it I think it was inspiring because people we do treasure those spaces amazing 
No, I mean, the cobblestone, don't get me wrong, these spaces are really precious. And I think, you know, the cobblestone's one of those ones that just would be impossible to replace, partially because it's a lot of it's to do with the people who run it, the family who run it, and their personality, you know, being so open and supportive to others. Um, but, yeah, the cobblestone, I think Daryl Lynch in the film really articulates perfectly where he talks about how it just epitomizes all the unease about the way the city is being developed, the Airbnb flats, the hotels being built, the student accommodation that, you know, I live in an area in Grange Gorman, which is where we are now, actually. We've arrived in Grange Gorman. I've just crossed the Lewis track, which means we have left Fibsborough and now we're in Grange Gorman. And, um, you know, the, the, there's some really big developments on the North Circular here that are behind gates. I'm just outside 274 North Circular and there's a big gate with big angry red letters on it saying no parking and a horrible security camera. And I can't walk in there and walk down that street because I'm not a student in a student accommodation, even though they've built a gorgeous architectural street there. And I have a real problem with that, you know? I think that's that's a really toxic thing to put into a community, a gated, a, a gated development. I, I'm absolutely against them. Yeah, Sorry, I'm it, ranting here. Apologies. No, no, <laughs> no. But again, like it's it's good to be taken on like a little mini tour as well because you get that perspective. But I mean, that's what I was sort of saying about the community. Like before, you'd have kids growing up together and big packs of kids being friends and you know getting jobs together and you'd have you know like women staying at home, the men off working, but they'd all oh. contribute. And if you know maybe one family is is left behind, you know, like people drop down. Yeah. And you'd get that, you'd get those stories from like chatting to people in the older generations. And you don't, you don't get that anymore. Like people are very isolated because everyone works. Oh yeah, they can be. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, it's funny. I, I lived in Stony Batter before I lived in Grange Gorman and Stony Batter would probably still be the, you know, the village I go to, you know, my office is in Stony Batter. You know, Danny's school, my son's school is in Grange Gorman, and I have a lot of friends in Stony Batter. So that's the kind of community I gravitate towards, and Fibsborough to an extent. And in Stony Batter, I think the level of um, what our professor, the term, I can't remember his name, I think it was Putnam, he talked about social capital and yeah. the idea of, of a powerful community with a lot of bonds and linkages and, and groups and solidarity. I think there's loads of that in Stony Batter. Absolutely loads. I think I think it's actually, for all that it's an expensive place to live now, it is a relatively successful model of development and gentrification in that there's a lot of communication and interest between the traditional Stony Batter people and the new people who have come to live here. Um, and a lot of that is to do with how Stony Batter is physically laid out as well. Um, those little streets with the two up, two downs, um, they created a culture of street life of street parties of dropping into each other's houses of sitting outside in chairs on a sunny day uh, and and talking to one another and funny enough things like whatsapp groups now on the street you know like you might have a street and like, i run the whatsapp group for my road you know and that's a great little community binder as well that's another kind of brick in the wall of of a community so i just i always just think like i think what my film was about i, I I, I, for a long time, I thought my film was about just everything and it wasn't focused on any one thing in particular. But I sent it to a friend of mine who said, he just got back to me and said, your film's about community, Luke. Yeah. And I was like, the- oh, you know, I was like, I don't really like the word community. And he's like, well, I don't care. That's what it's about. Um, 
And I think ultimately he's right. And I love that the kind of rejuvenation with, you know, like an influx of 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 new faces and new nationalities and does bring yeah. more soul and more life to a community. Like we're so lucky to to be living in an era where we do get to experience that. And you oh, do, definitely you like do get I that agree. flavor through it as well. Like it's it's so lovely. But tell me about um about curating the pace in the edit, about about kind of capturing those moods and 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 interweaving them with those like beautiful narrative stories. Well, let me tell you, I mean, Elaine Gallagher, amazing producer, came on board the project kind of when exactly at the moment she needed to and got it over the line. All the DOPs have worked with Richard Kendrick, Paddy Jordan, Evan Barry, Jamie Goldrick, amazing people, the sound recorders, the mixers, the graders, but... John Murphy, the editor, really is the sort of co-author of the film almost, or the person who was in it from the very start and who is still engaged with the film right now, you know, in terms of helping getting it out there. And, you know, he's there from the very, very start to the very, very end. And, you know, he's a wonderfully talented fella. He's a mensch. It's a shame that he's a Manchester United fan, but I suppose everyone, <laughs> everyone has to one. have... Everyone has to have their fatal flaw, I suppose. And it's a relatively benign one, relatively. But no, he was really, really, really good on this film. And he's one of the best filmmakers in the country, in my view. Um, I think he, I mean, you've seen The Quiet Girl. He cut that as well. So um, the job he did in my film was exquisite because it's not an easy film to cut that. And we did it in like eight or nine weeks, which is ridiculous. Wow. And yeah, was, I know. Was that post and stuff, or is that just to lock down the cuts and the back and forth? And were you in the room as well, or was this remote? So we started remote. He's in Athen Rye now. He's got two small kids. So, start, and it was, it was kind of COVID as well, you know, there was a lot of that still in the air for sure. Like, so started remote. Then I think he came up to Dublin. So I was lucky. So the film was funded by the Arts Council, as you know, but. I got a little creative residency from Dublin City Council as well. Um, so I got to be in D-Light Studios for six months, Ooh, which was... Around the corner. Well, actually, not just for, not really, actually quite far away from where I live, but at the other end of the North Circular Road. Yeah. So it'd be like a 25, 20-minute walk down there, 25-minute walk. But it meant I knew this end of the road very well, where I am now in Grange Gorman. I'm just looking at the women's prison now and the the clock tower rising up over the bend in the road but D-Light was right by the five lamps behind where Kelly Harrington lives a block up from where Kelly um, Gemma and Levy's from and it was amazing to be embedded in that community for those six months it was really crucial to the success of the thing and I uh, so we set up a bit of an edit suite there so that was the production office but it was also the um, edit suite Wow, so that's, to, like I mean, it's so 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 authentically of that location, really. Except for a it's few funny down in Athen Rye. Well, yeah, yeah, I went out to Athen Rye for a bit. Yeah, no, very much so. I think it, that helps the vibe. Like the grader Dave Hughes, he lives on uh, Monk Place, which is off the North Circular at one end in Fibsworth. So you know, I was always trying to get like Steve Power, who did a bit of the sound. He lives up in Cabra. I think Tony Cross used to live in Stony Better. Like I was always reaching for the local, you know, Alex Sapienza who did a did a day and he's another Stony Batterer. You know, if, if there was a choice, I'd get someone local because I felt that was the nature of the project, you know. 
keeping it authentic. Northside, yay! Yeah, but no, but... sort of artisanal filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, you know, local, Very local flavor, homegrown. Local pro- yeah, exactly. Local produce. There's no Peruvian asparagus here. Like this is all, this is all born in Dublin Seven and Dublin One. You know. And so, what has the response been to the community watching it? Well, I'm going about to find that out, which is kind of fascinating because uh, we had a few in for the premiere at uh, Dublin Film Festival in March, and they were they were happy enough with it. But you know, it's been to Cork, it's been to Louth, it's been to Galway, it's been to Sheffield, and um, but we haven't played in Dublin since March. So yeah, yeah. so w- this week, and it'll probably be gone by the time uh, this goes out. So this Thursday, we're doing a special preview for the prisoners in Mountjoy prison. So oh. we're bringing an entire cinema in and putting it up inside the prison so that they can watch the film. And Dara Lynch from Lancome is going to play them a few tunes as well. So that's going to be a pretty special one. Um, and then on Friday, I'm doing the Dublin One premiere where Gemma Dunleavy is the guest of honour. And we have uh, people from that Dublin One community, members of Kelly Harrington's family and all her supporters and just the Talking Box podcast lads are hosting that. And, you know, it's it's just a kind of, the, the army pipers are going to play everyone in. And, you know, it's going to be a really cool little sneak preview for for that end of the road. And then on the opening night, we have the Double 7 premiere, which is in the Lighthouse. So that's in collaboration with Bose, the football club Bohemians, and their foundation, their charity that they operate in the community. And... Uh, yeah, we're doing one of the IFI, we're doing one of Belfast. So we're doing a lot of special events as well as having the standards release. That's kind of the model that we're going for. So, yeah, that's it. You'll be in the, the lion's den. So, because <laughs> like, I, lo- I love the the kind of, the, the, the that kind of honesty when people don't like something. It's none of the film festival stuff. Like if, if someone is like a local and they're like, that was great, but I did not like that. Like they did have that honesty as well. That A few people have seen her from the area. They're like, Oh, why didn't you do the la la la? That's the most <laughs> interesting thing about the North Circular Road. And I'm like, you know, it's interesting. There's a multitude in this area, and like everyone would make their own version of this film that would be different, and they would have the things that interest them in it. You know, so it's it's kind of a, you know, there's a North Circular Road for everyone, and this is my version of it. You know, so <laughs> that's what I'm going to expect is people going, why do you leave that out? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? But like. The response to the film has been so powerful. Like, you know, people have been so kind of kind about it and enthused by it and moved by it. And like, I just, you know, it's definitely the best thing I've ever made, I think, in terms of it's the closest to what my heart wanted it to be. And it was a very hard project at times. It was very lonely. You know, you have a very small budget. You have a very small team. There was months and months when it was just me working on it pretty much, you know, and that's quite hard. Um, so to see it out there and to see people enjoying it so much and, and getting so much from it is just amazing, really. You know, it's great. And it is it's absolutely gorgeous. Like, I mean, even the songs themselves, I think when they're sad in that setting, you get the weight of the history behind it. Like you get the songs, you listen to them in a way that's completely different than like, I mean, you've uh, most of them you'd I'd have heard time and time again, but you get like you kind of it's. Yeah, like, they, I don't know, it just brings more meaning to them and they're performed so beautifully and captured so gorgeously and then interspersed with those, you know, lovely stories. And No, totally. Yeah, I kind of went, 
I had one day in the cobblestone where I shot all those kind of session singers and I did all the kind of John Flynn and Owen Canavan singing. And, you know, I kind of got Richard Kendrick and Hugh Fox, who was just off Game of Thrones, I think, you know, guys I can't normally afford. And I just said, will you do one day for me, please? You know, because I knew I wanted it to be pristine. And, and they loved it. They absolutely loved that shoot, you know, because it was just a really generous, warm spirit. And that night where the people do the singing, it's called the night before Larry got stretched. And it was a, it's a famous singing night in the cobblestone. And I think it was a real hub for the likes of Lancome and Ye Vagabonds and Skipper's Alley and Landless and Lisa O'Neill and all these people. They all kind of would have gone to it and, and kind of buzzed off each other at it. And I went down to it. It was the first one back after COVID. And I, uh, and I was feeling pretty down and pretty stressed and, you know, I'd only like two months left before I was meant to be delivering the film and I was missing an awful lot of stuff, you know, and I just wasn't, you know, it, you go through the tunnel on a project like this big time. And I was sitting there having my few pints, just I was almost meditating, listening to all these people. And, you know, I really tried to capture that kind of the nourishment you get from listening to those people, you know, and the kind of almost meditative, restorative effect of being in a room like that, you know where you're under no pressure to chat or be charming or be in good form. You can just be and listen. You and know? after being starved of it for so long, like it's right. just one of those things where we didn't realize right. how much our soul needed that creativity until like that, like it was just a void and how difficult that was collectively for everybody. And I think. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the creativity in a context of togetherness, yeah. you know, rather than that, isolation that we all went through and like that capitalism pushes you into constantly being self-absorbed and anxious and into your own bullshit the whole time so when you go somewhere where you can be with others and lose that ego and that fretful mind and you can and that could be a singing session it could be a football match at daily mount that's in the right. film it could be it, yeah um, it could be a street protest you know like there's lots of moments in the, it could be watching a boxing match on a big screen on Portland Row, you know, it, it's, it's, or it could be playing a tin whistle outside your local shops and having banter with people who go past, you know, like these are the things that sustain us as humans, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. I could talk to you forever, but I, I must go. <laughs> I really could. Like I could down another hour and just be like, and tell me about this thing. And and that was such a wonderful bit. But but I will let you go because it sounds like you're... Sorry you're for banging now. on for ages. I'm home. No, you know, I love it. Is, no, I really I'm like... Up, I'm yeah. walking up by the asylum wall now. It's this big granite wall that kind of towers over me. And it's like the, the reminder of what the mental hospital was like behind. It's kind of quite sort of intimidating. But I've just can see my front door now. And I haven't been home since, uh, since uh, Friday morning. So I've um, been in London and Cambridge. So... I'm about to go into the arms of my family. So that's a pretty nice way to end this, I think. That is a lovely way to end it, into the arms of your family. And then everybody hopefully can go see your beautiful film. So thank you so much for chatting with us. I really loved that conversation, Gemma. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.